Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. We're in Genesis chapter 26, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Genesis chapter 26. And, uh, you know, we've had such an exciting time. I don't know if it's been exciting for you, but it's been exciting for me going through the life of Abraham. And, you know, just there's so many awesome things that we talked about in the life of Abraham. And and, and we're going to segue from Isaac into the life of Jacob, Abraham's grandson. And, and there's a lot of chapters dedicated to Jacob, basically. And, and, and But right now we have chapter 26 that's basically dealing strictly. Now, the, the, as we read earlier, it'll mention Esau and Jacob at the end. But right now, this is basically the only chapter that just deals almost pretty much exclusively with Isaac. Um, so, and you know, you read through and you go, okay, it's not as an exciting chapter as these other chapters with Abraham, you know, offering Isaac on the altar or willing to, and, and the picture of, 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 of the servant going and bringing the bride to Isaac and, you know, all those, all those neat things we get. We get to chapter 26, it's like, well, what's going on here? I just want to encourage you this morning because I think there's some, there's some beautiful things in here that we'll look at this morning, um, at least in my mind. So, again, this chapter is dealing strictly with Isaac. Abraham has died, um, and the baton of faith, so to speak, has now been passed on to Isaac, the next generation. Now, the, the, the occasions here, um, from what I understand, Isaac is probably around 80 years old, so it's not like he's a young kid, but generally speaking, it's the new generation, the, 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 the son of Abraham, and now, now God's going to be dealing with Isaac, and so we'll see that here. And so we get to verse 1 of chapter 26, and it says, There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Now, the first thing that jumps out to me, you know, Isaac's in the center of God's will. He's in the promised land. He's, you know, he's the one through his descendants, the Messiah is going to come. He's in the center of God's will. And yet, man, there's a famine. What's up with that? You know, a lot of times, I'll speak just personally in my own life. A lot of times, you know, I look at just, you know, if God's, you know, if things are going good, man, God's blessing, you know, and, and, and things are going great. If things all of a sudden, it's like we're in a dry period or we're in a famine or all of a sudden there's, there's difficulties or try, a lot of times I go, man, am I out of God's will? I mean, am, am I doing something wrong? What's up? And that's my tendency to do that. But, you know, here Isaac's in the center of God's will and yet there's a famine. It was part of God's plan. Why? Because God's going to work through that in Isaac's life, we'll see. God wants to, you know, he allows us to go through periods where, where, like we were singing earlier, man, only you can save me now, you know, to Jesus. That's where we were singing that last worship song. And that's where God wants us to be, man. We can't depend on anything else. We can just look to you, Lord God. And so Isaac has to go through this famine. Um, now, it says that Isaac went to Abimelech and Gerar. Now, Abimelech, you'll recall that Abraham dealt with an Abimelech in his lifetime. It's not the same person. First of all, it's about 100 years later than when Abraham dealt with uh, Abimelech. But not only that, but Abimelech is not a name of a person. It's a title, kind of like the Pharaoh of Egypt or the President of the United States. It's a title, not a name. And so this is more than likely a different Abimelech than the one that Abraham dealt with about 100 years ago. 
And so uh, Isaac goes down to Gerar, to Abimelech, kill king of the Philistines in Gerar. Where is Gerar? It's south of the area that we now call the Gaza Strip. So if you, if you can picture in your mind the Middle East, you can picture Israel, it's right on the Mediterranean coast, about as far south in Israel as you can go, basically. In fact, he's pretty much, you're pretty much about as close to Egypt as you can be in the land of Canaan. You're down there, right there. So that suggests that Isaac was on his way to Egypt, and he stopped in Gerar. Why do I say that it suggests that he was on his way to Egypt? Because of verse 2. Because verse 2 the Lord says, Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Why would God say that? Because probably Isaac was tempted or maybe he was even on his way to go down to Egypt. And he's about as south as you can go in, in Canaan. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, as Christians, you know, and what I'm going to share in a few minutes, you know, Egypt later on is going to be pictured as the world. And, and you know, we're not to be part of the world. We're to be in the world but not of the world. And, 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 Abraham, his father, right? He went down into into Egypt. It wasn't. It never turned out good for um, Abraham to do that. We saw, you know, the the whole issue with uh, him lying to uh, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and and then him ended up with Hagar, the Egyptian slave, and and through that, you know, they had Ishmael, and and just the it, it didn't turn out good for Abraham. And his descendants to this day, the Jewish people, they're dealing with the fallout from that uh, as far as the, the, uh, the Muslim nations. And so Isaac um, probably was tempted to go down to Egypt. And so he's right on the border. You know, sometimes Christians, you know, they live right on the border of the world, right? It's like, I want to see how far I can get before I, you know, can I go this far without slipping into the world and the worldliness? You know, how far can I go? What can I do and still be, you know, feel good about being a Christian and everything? And people are right on the edge. And we should never live our lives that way. But we do sometimes. And I know Christians that have. And so Lord God speaking to Isaac says, don't go down to Egypt. Again, he's probably on his way to Egypt. Why would he go to Egypt in the first place during a famine? Well, famines are usually associated with droughts. And, uh, you know, there's not enough water for the crops and everything. There could be other reasons, but generally it's related to lack of water. Egypt had all kinds of water. It had tributaries and rivers. And so they would be the last area affected by a famine. You know, they would be the last ones, basically. If it got, now, Egypt has had famines. It had, we'll have one in the time of Joseph. But it had to have been really bad if Egypt's affected by it. So uh, it would make sense to go down there, you know. You can, you can ride out the famine, so to speak. But listen, if Isaac had gone down to Egypt, he wouldn't have been in the land of promise anymore. He wouldn't have been relying on God anymore. He'd be, it, it's taking the easy way out. And, you know, that's a temptation for us. We get into a famine, a struggle situation. It's easy, or it's, it's easy to take the easy way out, or it's tempting to take the easy way out. Instead of just, hey, let's hang in there and trust the Lord and, and look to the Lord and, and learn through it and, and, and build our faith and stuff. And, and that's what the Lord wants to do with Isaac here. 
Now his father, like I mentioned, Abraham did go to Egypt and it didn't turn out very well for him. But here the Lord tells Isaac, stay, do not go down to Egypt. Let me read the rest of this thing. It says, then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws." And so the Lord tells Abraham, or tells Isaac, excuse me, live in the land of which I shall tell you. What does that word live mean? It's a verb, of obviously, and it literally means to settle down. Now, when people are the object of the verb, I learned, <laughs> it means to settle down in peace and security. So that's what the Lord's telling Isaac. Hey, settle down in the promise. Yeah, there's a famine, but settle down in peace and security. And then in verse 3, he says, dwell in the land. That word dwell, it's another verb, but it means to sojourn as a foreigner. So you put those two things together. First, the Lord says, hey, settle down in peace and security and sojourn or dwell, you know, act like you're a pilgrim in this land. Well, it seems almost like two opposites. How can a person settle down in peace and security and yet, and yet sojourn as a foreigner? Well, how do we settle down in peace and security? Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. Man, you want to live in peace and security? Man, just trust the Lord. Uh, you know, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't go down to Egypt. Trust in the Lord. Acknowledge him. He's going to guide you through those difficult times. That's how you settle down in peace and security. Well, how do you do that and also sojourn as a foreigner? Very easily. Well, it's not always easy for us, but it's easy as far as Scripture. It just lays it out. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hey, we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. We're not to be conformed to the world. You know, so yesterday... Um, <clears throat> The women's conference was going on, and I was in the back, and uh, I was recording the conference um, so that uh, we could get it up on our website, which it will be in in, a, in due time. It'll be on our website if you missed it and you want to listen to it. Um, <clears throat> so, but but because I was recording, I was adjusting the levels, and just you know, I thought, oh, I've got to catch it when it ends, and you know, put breaks in it and stuff, so that when it gets edited, people know where to edit, you know, what to edit and stuff. So I was listening to it for the most part. I was, no, I wasn't eavesdropping. Well, I, maybe I was eavesdropping a little bit. But, but, uh, <clears throat> but you know, boy, I tell you, I, I really appreciated a lot of the things that Brooke said. I really appreciated it. And I, and I told her later, I go, man, I said I was listening, eavesdropping. And I said, you know, I, it, you blessed me what you were sharing. I really appreciated what you shared with the women. Because that was one of the things, you know, don't be conformed to this world. You're free. You don't have to be conformed to this world. And so what a beautiful thing. And so the Lord says, dwell in this land. Why? He says, because I'll be with you. I'll be with you and bless you. That word with, it's a preposition. This is an English grammar class today. Um, with is a preposition, and it means either with, for, toward, or against. You may say, whoa, that sounds like a Listen, if I fight with someone, 
there's two ways you could take that, right? If I'm fighting with someone, either I'm standing next to them, I'm alongside them, and we're both fighting. I'm fighting with them. And in that case, I'm fighting for someone, right? I'm, I'm on their side. I'm fighting with them against someone else. But if I'm fighting with someone in the sense of I'm, I have a problem with you and I'm fighting with you, I'm not fighting for you. I'm fighting against you. Uh, you know, you're my opposition, whatever. Well, the Lord here says, I'll be with you and bless you. You know, a lot of times when we talk about trials and difficulties and we say, oh, but you know, God will be with you in that. And God's with us in that. What does that mean for God to be with us? Does it just mean that he's present? Listen, I think what it means is he's not only present with you, but he's present for you. He's not only present with you, but his blessing will be toward you even during a time of famine. He's on your side. In fact, Paul said it in Romans, if or since God is for us, man, who can be against us? That presence of the Lord, man, it's for you. It's towards you. It's to bless you. It's to protect you. It's to carry you through those difficult times. He says, for to you and your descendants, I'll give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to you, Abraham, your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. God here is reiterating the covenant that he made with Abraham. It's now God's covenant with Isaac, the next generation. Isaac's the new generation. But listen, he's got the same trials that the old generation had, that Abraham had. He's got the, he's got the famine, just like Abraham had a famine. He has to also, just like Abraham had a trust in God, Isaac has to trust in God now. And Isaac's going to reap the same blessings of that relationship with God that Abraham did. It's the same for us. We're the next generation of believers. Man, I love it when the kids are up here and we're praying for them because it, it always sinks in. Man, this is the next generation of Christians. And, and, and they're going to go through the trials. They're going to have famines. They're going to need to rely on the Lord just like you and I had to rely on the Lord, just like our parents had to rely on the Lord. <clears throat> and so he says, And in your seed... All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. You know what's interesting about that? The law of Moses wasn't even given yet. So so what do you mean? How How did Abraham obey God's laws when the law wasn't even written down yet? What? It's because... Abraham obeyed whatever the Lord commanded him. Whatever the Lord said. That was, that was Abraham's like, that's the law. I'm going to obey it. And, <clears throat> and whatever the Lord spoke to him, Abraham believed what God spoke to him. The Bible says what? It was accounted to him for righteousness. And, but he didn't only obey, uh, believe it, but he obeyed it. He acted on that faith. And, and because of that, he was called the friend of God. You know what Jesus said in John 15, verse 14? He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And if you believe God, praise the Lord that you have a faith in the Lord Jesus. If you believe him and his promises, great. But act on that faith. Obey. And man, as you do that, man, you're, Jesus says, you're my friend because you're doing what I tell you to do. You're, you're, you're acting on your faith. So verse 6, it says, So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister, for he was afraid to say, She is my wife. Because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Listen, Isaac, the new generation, but they have the same, he has the same fear that Abraham had. 
And he's also got the sinful, same sinful pattern of deception as his father did. Now, when Abraham tried to deceive Pharaoh and later on Abimelech, um, <clears throat> Sarah was technically Abraham's half-sister. So, you know, it wasn't a, like a full-blown lie. It was kind of like a half a lie, right? A half-truth is still a lie, right? No matter how you look at it. But listen, Rebecca is not Isaac's sister at all. It's like he's taking it one step lower. Now, there's something about the sins of the fathers visiting on, on, visited on the sons. It's like, man, he's, he's repeating the same thing his dad did, you know, 100 years ago. Is it genetics? Could quite possibly be. Is it, they just had the same personality disposition, you know, predisposition to that? You know, that's quite possible. The same environment, you know, all these things. You kind of, you know, why did he do the same thing? You know, I, it's funny. I, I've noticed, actually, I haven't noticed, I've been told by my wife and my kids, you do the same thing your dad used to do. My dad would get up in the mornings, I don't know what, but he'd rub his hands. And you know, it's funny, <laughs> I remember my brother, because we lived with my brother when I got out of the military for about six months or so, and, and uh, we were married and had kids there and stuff, and I remember my brother would get up and he'd start rubbing his hands. And you know, one day, I, kids are like, Dad, why are you rubbing your hands? I'm like... I don't know. It's just like, I don't know. You know, it's just something I do. It, I remember my dad doing it. Um, you know, it's, what is it? I, I can't explain it necessarily. But there's one thing I don't believe. And, and as I share this with you, and I, 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 I might step on toes in somebody's beliefs. But listen, this isn't a salvation issue, okay? So if you disagree with me, that's cool. That's fine. One thing I don't believe is that this is a generational curse, especially in the light of a child of God. I don't believe in generational curses for the children of God. Why? You know, some people think that Christians, you're saved, but you still, there's some issue in the back. You have to be delivered from that thing. I disagree with that, and here's why. And I'm, I'm going to basically take, I think what Paul says in Colossians, you know, and, and I think the Women's Conference even touched on it. Listen to what Paul wrote in Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. He says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Man, you've been delivered from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of, his, of, the son of, his, in, uh, of his love, excuse me, in whom we have redemption through, the, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. When you come to faith in Christ, you've been delivered from the power of darkness. Colossians 2, verses 8 through 10. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. We're complete in Christ. Colossians 3 3 for you died and your life is hidden with God in Christ or with Christ in God and Jesus said in John 8 verse 36 and you women probably could quote it from yesterday therefore if the son makes you free you shall be free indeed so this thing that's going on with Isaac repeating I, I don't believe it's a generational curse okay I really don't and I don't believe Christians have who have been set free still have to be delivered from something beyond that now there's other issues you know there's there's maybe there's a there's a, a, a hold in your life from sin but it's not a curse okay I, I, I really disagree with that biblically and uh, um, anyways I, I just really feel strongly about that and I think the Bible supports that so whatever went on, you know, I don't know. 
you know, all of us, if you think about of us, all of us repeat the sins of our father, right? We, Adam was our father, and we all, we all, we have that nature, that sin nature. We do the same thing that Adam did. Well, verse 8, it says, Now it came to pass, we had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. That's the new King James. I love the King James Version. The King James Version says, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out at a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. Sporting. They were playing baseball together, and he must have at least made it to first base, okay? <laughs> I mean, that's all I can figure. Sporting. What's the... <laughs> I love that. Sporting. It reminds me of a story. I got to tell you this story. Um, it, it could have been wrestling. You know, <clears throat> a number of years ago, uh, Teresa and I weren't quite empty nesters yet, but, but it was one night we were by ourselves, and we were in our bedroom. This is, this is G-rated, okay, so don't, don't, don't worry. Um, we were in our bedroom, and uh, we were wrestling. Now, Teresa and I, we, we, we goof off, and sometimes we tickle each other. You know, just, we got into a wrestling match, and we were making all kinds of noise, laughing and having a fun time and wrestling and stuff. And uh, <clears throat> we stopped, and I got up. Or got up and went out to go get a drink. I make this is it's still G, believe me. But I went out and I, into the kitchen. I was going to get something to drink or something. And I go out there and all of a sudden, there's Luke. He's in high school, and his friend, and Luke and his friend were in a band, and and they had just done some performance at a school or somewhere where they had done their music and stuff. And they had invited two girls to their house. It was Martha was and her sister. They weren't dating yet. They weren't boyfriend, girlfriend. It was just, you know, a couple friends. They kind of just socialized together. And so I come out of the room. I thought the house was empty. It was just Teresa and I. We had been wrestling. I come out in this the infamous blue terry cloth robe that I still have. I come out there rubbing my hands, you know. I come out and, and, and there there's four teenagers sitting on the couch in different chairs, and they, they're just like, you know, I mean, it's just silence. No wonder why I didn't hear them, because they weren't talking. It was just that we were just sitting there. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know you guys were here. <laughs> you know, and, 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 then, and then, you know, when I get nervous, or I, I just, sometimes I say stupid stuff. I just don't think, and I wasn't thinking. And so I said, did you guys, like, hear some noise going on in the bedroom? <laughs> and I, I don't know if they said anything. I think they still had this, like... And I said, and I said to Luke, I go, your mother and I were just wrestling. <laughs> That's how we, we were just wrestling, you know. <laughs> Poor Martha, you know. She got in, she got introduced to our family and kind of a thing. So, so whatever sport Isaac and Rebecca were partaking with, Abimelech was looking. Go, hey, this is not something that a brother and sister do. Okay, this is a little. This is a little. This is not a brother and sister throwing the football around. They're, they're, he's sporting with her. <laughs> so, verse nine. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously, she is your wife, so how could you say she is my sister? Then Isaac said to him, Because I said, Lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. You know, something jumps out of this passage of Scripture. Even before the law of Moses was given, even though the Philistines were a pagan people, they recognized that adultery was sin. They said, hey, if, if, if one of us had slept with your wife, man, we would have brought guilt on us. They knew that it was sin. 
that, that fascinates me. Paul in Romans 2.14, he's talking about the Gentiles. He says, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. God has written his law in the hearts of people. Whether they're a Christian or not, God has written his law in their hearts. And it talks about in Romans how, 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 or how, how the world, they, they know God. They know that God exists. They know about him, but, but they, they, they basically suppress the truth of him. Listen, this is really condemning. Because if a pagan nation that didn't have the law knows that adultery is sin, what does that say about our country? which was founded on Christian Judeo values, right? We were, we were a Christian nation. I, I don't care what President Obama said. We, were, we are a Christian nation. No, they're not. A, I mean, we were founded on Christian principles. Let me put it that way. So we know. We, we, we know God's commands. In fact, schools used to have the Ten Commandments in the schools until the you know, ACLU and all that stuff got involved with that. Now they're trying to erase any signs of our foundation, our Christian foundation in, in the United States. But what does that say about our nation? And today, people are like, hey, what's wrong with it? There's nothing wrong with it. And yet this pagan nation said, man, if we did that, that was sin. Fascinating to me. So Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Verse 12, then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Does that sound kind of odd to you? I mean, he had just lied. He was just rebuked by a pagan king. And the very next verse says, he reaped a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. It's like, wait a minute. Why did God bless him when he just blew it there? You know what this is all? This is God's grace. This is, this is a perfect example of God's grace. I'm glad it's in there. Because, listen, if Isaac had done everything exactly and, and then God blessed him, there would be no hope for me, right? There'd be no hope for you. If we only saw God's blessing on perfect people, man, then, then it'd be like, man, I'm never going to get blessed because, man, I keep blowing out. I keep sinning. I keep doing stupid things and stuff. And yet God pours out his blessings on us because we don't deserve it because that's what grace is. Verse 13, the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. You know, this is the first mention or the first case of it. But as has been the case all the way down through history, God blesses the Jewish people. <clears throat> and wherever, wherever they're at, God blesses them. It has nothing to do with them. It's just God's grace and God's favor on them. But they're blessed wherever they go. They prosper wherever they go. And wherever they went throughout, and you can look at it down throughout history, their enemies become envious of them and drive them away. I mean, it's happened throughout all the nations of the earth. It's happened down through history. This is the first case of this. Verse 17. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. 
And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he called them by the names which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants, verse 19, dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over, over it. Excuse me. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. That's a lot of well digging, isn't it? What's the significance of the Bible mentioning that Abraham, or Isaac dug all these wells? Listen, wells are where water is found. Throughout the Bible, water is a picture of the word of God. Water is used for washing, right? We, we wash with water. The word of God washes. Ephesians 5, 25, 26, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Water washes. Water satisfies thirst. Man, if you're working on a hot day and, you know, and you're just like, you know, just parched and it's just you're you're just you're dehydrated and stuff man someone offers you a glass of milk it's like uh, uh, i'd rather have water right because nothing satisfies thirst as good as good clear cold fresh water there's nothing that satisfies better than that jesus said in john 4 13 uh he's speaking to the woman at the well uh samaritan woman at the well actually he says whoever drinks of this water will thirst again Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Revelation twenty two seventeen And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears says, Come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Man, the water satisfies thirst. God's word satisfies the needs of our hearts. Not only that, but water satis- uh, sustains life. You guys know this. I-, I grew up in California. And around this time of the year, things are starting to brown up in California. There's not that much rain out there. And so uh, it's beautiful in the wintertime. It's really green because I don't get a lot of snow, at least where I grew up. But but you get out, now this it's starting to dry out. Although this year they had a lot of rain, so it's probably going to take a while. But eventually... You start driving down the highways and you're driving down the roads in, in California where I grew up, and it's just brown. Everything's brown. Um, but you'll see clumps of green trees and green shrubbery and stuff, and you, and you know what you, you always know when you see that? There's a river over there. There's water running over there. Why? Because water sustains life. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the godly, excuse me, ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Man, the word of God sustains us. 
It says here that Isaac first dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, right? The Philistines, the, you know, the, Abraham had a covenant with the Philistines, but now he's dead, and so they, 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 they hate Isaac, whatever, and so they, wanna, they just want to stop up the wells. And so the first thing he does is he, he uncovers, he, he digs out those wells that his father Abraham had dug, and he calls them by the same names his father had called them. What, what is significant of that in light of water being a picture of the Word of God? Listen, there are old truths in Scripture, there's old truths, like, and, there, and we call them by There's sin, right? The Bible speaks a lot about sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, holiness, sanctification. You know, there's a temptation uh, in, in, in some uh, circles of Christianity that, you know, we don't want to talk about sin anymore. It's really offensive. We don't want to talk about the blood of Christ. We want to encourage people. We want to give them some hope to go home with and make them feel good about themselves. And that's a tendency in Christian circles today or in churches today. And yet, uh, those truths are vital for life as a Christian. We have to know that we're sinners. We have to know that blood was shed for to pay the price for our sins. We have to know that. Uh, we need to know that we need to walk in holiness. God just doesn't wink at sin. We need to walk in holiness. The Holy Spirit wants to sanctify us and stuff. Um, those things don't need to be left unspoken. You know, we don't need to drop any of those things because they might be considered offensive today. By the way, it doesn't matter what you say nowadays. You're going to be, you're going to offend someone. It's just, it's a fact of life. You're going to offend someone. We try so hard not to. And that's my tendency, man. I don't want to offend people, but you know what? It's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Well, there's temptation today to come up with, with new at the sacrifice of the old truths of Scripture. And there's a phrase, it's kind of cliche, but, but it's true. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. And it's been around. And so I think this is a picture of this. Abraham, you know, he's just, he's, he's reopening those wells and, and, and giving him the same names that his father gave him. There's some truths in the scriptures that doesn't change. There's things that, we, that just doesn't change. They're, they're fundamental truths of life. And, you know, for digging, I don't know what it would take to, to undig a well that's been stopped up, but I imagine it takes some work, some effort. And, you know, for you and I digging into God's word, isn't it true that it takes effort? I mean, we can read it, but, I mean, to dig into God's word, man, I, it's funny. Sometimes, uh, a lot of times, I like to do my Bible studying for church in the mornings. Early in the morning is the best time for me. I've already slept. I'm rested. And I can get into God's word and start studying. And I feel like the Lord can speak to me. If I study at night, now last night I did some studying at night because just the events of the day and the events of the week was just kind of crazy. So I was kind of, I had to study last night basically. And I can't believe how many times I'm like, oh, what time is it? <laughs> what verse am I at? You know, I got to, you know, have you ever noticed that when you want to read God's word, all of a sudden it's like, oh man, I'm so tired, you know. A lot of times I'll be doing that in the evening. It's like, okay, you know what, I'm just going to go to bed. I go lay down in bed, I'm like, wait right away, because like, what's the deal? I don't say everything's spiritual, but I think there's, a, I think there's an, an aspect to that. Isaac's servants are digging wells, and they're coming up against opposition, and when you and I dig into God's word, man, our enemy is not going to back down, but he's going to oppose us just like the Philistines opposed the servants of Isaac. 
And so we hear in, this, in these verses, man, every time Isaac's servants dig a well, man, there's opposition. But guess what? Isaac doesn't give up. He doesn't stop. He just moves and starts digging again. Why? Because he knows that water is vital, is vital. He knows the importance of it. And even though you might be, maybe, you, maybe you're getting, dis, you know, you, you're reading and now you're, you, you get tired or you're getting up. Don't give up. Don't grow discouraged. Maybe you're going through a famine. Don't grow discouraged. Keep digging in God's word because you're going to find that water and it's going to sustain you. It's going to refresh you. It's going to wash you. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the Father. So finally, he digs a well, and the Philistines don't quarrel with him. So he named it Rehoboth, which means spaciousness. Verse 23. Then he went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Now, you know what's interesting? If you look at Abraham's life, he was known for building altars. And everywhere he went, man, he built an altar to the Lord. Man, Abraham was a worshiper of the Lord. I mean, that's just a, it's a picture. Abraham was just, wherever he was, didn't matter where he was, he worshiped the Lord. He was a worshiper. Isaac here, man, he's known for digging wells, man. He, everywhere he went, he dug wells. Why? Because he's a student of the word. It's a beautiful picture. He was a student of the word. So you've got, you got someone who's a worshiper, you've got someone who's a student of the word. But listen to this. Although Abraham was a worshiper, I mean, he's, his life is marked by, by building altars, he also dug wells. He was also a student of the word. And although Isaac here is a student of the word, and we see all these wells that he dug, he also builds an altar. He also worships. Why? Because both are vital in our life of faith, worship and the word of God. Don't focus on one to the exclusion of the other. Oh, I'm just going to worship the Lord. That's all I'm going to do. Don't exclude the word of God. And don't just read the word of God and don't let it don't respond in faith and in worship as you read the word of God. They go hand in hand. They're important for us in our life of, of Christ. You know, let worship rise up in response to the word. That's the best way to worship the Lord. You know, um, you can worship the Lord anytime. I'm not saying don't worship the Lord and you, know, you have to read the Bible every time. You, I'm not saying that. But don't let that be the only thing you do. Because, you know, a lot of times, man, it's great to read God's word and then to respond. And, and just, you know, maybe it's a, something that just really encourages you or you just, man, just thankfulness flows from your heart. Man, worship the Lord. Be responsive in how you read. That's, that's the, your, if you do that, if you pray as you read, if you respond as you read, as you, you read a little bit and then respond to the Lord, I, I guarantee your, your walk with the Lord is it's just going to, it's going to, it's going to change. It's going to be transformed if you do that. Verse 26. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? 
But they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, since we have not touched you, and since we have done nothing to you but good, and have sent you away in peace, you are now blessed of the Lord. This is the first example of revisionist history. <laughs> we've done nothing, man. We've been good to you this whole time. Well, they didn't kill him, obviously, but, but man, they, they opposed him and stuff. So they're definitely, you know, revising history there. Um, but listen, the blessing of the Lord on Isaac's life, it hadn't escaped their notice, the notice of his enemies. Even though you might, maybe you're, maybe in your workplace or in your family, maybe your extended family, maybe there's people that oppose you right now because you love Jesus Christ. And they're opposing you because of your faith. But I want to encourage you, they're also watching you. They're watching you. And as the Lord blesses you, they're taking notice of it. Proverbs 16, verse 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. This is exactly what happened with Isaac. Now, Isaac could have used this opportunity to lay into these guys for their mistreatment of him. Why do you come here? Well, he asked them, but I mean, he, he could have just like, forget it. I don't want to have nothing to do with you. You're my enemy, man. I don't want to have anything to do with you guys. What does he do? Instead, man, he prepares a feast for him. See, Isaac's been affected by grace, and now he's extending grace to those people that didn't deserve his treatment. He extends grace to them. He prepares a feast for them. He enters into a covenant of non-aggression with them, and he sends them away in peace. How many of you would do that? That's a hard thing to do. But I love what happens next. Verse 32. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. For, therefore the name of the city is called Beersheba to this day. Man, you know what? Isaac didn't fight. He didn't, he didn't go tit for tat. You know, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't try to, you know, whatever. He, he just like, you know what? I'm going to prepare a feast for these guys. And I'm, I'm going to just enter into this non-aggression pact with them. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send them in peace and bless them and stuff. In that same day, the Lord blessed them with more water. Man, when, when you and I walk in that, that way, man, God, God takes care of us. God fights our battles. Man, we don't have to fight the battles. God can do it for us. And God will bless us if we'll just walk. Again, if you just commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him, man, he will guide your paths. He will direct you. Let me get to verse 34, which is the end of the chapter here. When Esau, we go back now to Esau. When Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives, Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. You know, as we get into the next chapter, the next chapter is kind of, it's kind of a, it's a sad chapter. I mean, it's, it's, such a dysfunctional family. <laughs> I mean, everybody's deceiving everybody else. You know, it's they're all deceiving. They're all being deceptive. They're all. It's it's just it's like everyone else's normal family, right? It's just just a little bit of dysfunction there, and and so we're kind of we're kind of easing into that here in, in the end of chapter twenty six. Esau, 
Remember Esau was the firstborn. Although they were twins, he was born before. So he was the firstborn. The rights of the firstborn in, in that culture went to, went to the oldest child. The oldest child, um, the firstborn, they'd get a double portion of the inheritance. But it wasn't just the blessing of the double portion. They also had the spiritual leadership of the family. Once the father died, the firstborn would be the priest of the of the family. Basically, he'd be he'd be the one that would be the spiritual leader in his family. He'd be the one that would make the legal decisions for the family. Um, all those things, those those responsibilities, and Esau could care less about those. We'll find out later. He really wanted the blessing. He liked the double portion, but he didn't want the responsibility. He wanted to have nothing to do with spiritual things. He just wanted the blessing. He didn't want the spiritual things. And, and Esau, you know, Jacob, we're going to find out, is quite a huckster. I mean, his name is Heel Catcher. He, 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 you know, he's got a heart for the Lord, but he goes about it totally the wrong way. He, he totally does things, you know, the wrong way. But, but he does have a heart for the Lord. Esau, on the other hand, he doesn't have a heart for the Lord at all, the things of the Lord. And Esau is just a picture uh, totally of the flesh. And, uh, and here, you know, Esau... He ends up, you know, he, he doesn't have that sensitivity to his parents at all. I mean, he, he ends up marrying these two uh, wives, and it wasn't a race issue. Uh, it, it wasn't even a nationality issue. It was the fact that these were pagans. They didn't worship the God of, of Israel, the God, the God of Abraham and Isaac. Um, these were idolaters, and, and he marries both of them. And it was a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Remember Abraham? They sent, they sent a servant back to, to get, bring a bride for Isaac from their own family back in Mesopotamia. They didn't, wanna, they didn't want um, Abraham and Sarah, they didn't want Isaac to marry one of the foreigners. And now here his son, one of his sons, is doing just that. Um, and it's a grief of mind. And, you know, I can't reiterate it over and over again. Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Because your life is going to be miserable if you do that. And here, this is a, a picture of what Esau does. So we're going to end here this, this morning. And uh, we'll move into chapter 27 uh, next week. Talking about um, Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Rebekah. And, and uh, it's, it's really interesting. There's this you know, a snapshot in the life of these people that's recorded through forever it's here in scriptures and it's probably a day they wish hadn't happened right an event that wouldn't have happened and we'll talk about that next week so I encourage you to come back next week for it but uh, why don't you stand up let's go lord in prayer and uh, as we close i'm going to go ahead and ask um, john and Teresa to come up and, and luke will come up too if you would and uh, he'll lead in a last worship song and uh, at the end of the service um, as we're dismissing you know if the word of God spoke to you today and you just want to pray, or maybe there's just something you need to pray, you know, you'd like to pray for or whatever. Um, we want to give you that opportunity. We want to pray with you and pray for you and stuff. And so um, take advantage of it. Okay. We don't want you to leave without having responded to the Lord and whatever he spoke to you this morning. And so um, it's funny because, you know, a lot of times I'm thinking, okay, this is the direction the sermon's going and man, the Lord's going to speak to people about this. And then afterwards people come up and they'll be like, the Lord spoke to me. And it's like, well, I didn't even know that that's wasn't even what I was saying, but the Lord speaks, the spirit speaks to whatever your need is. And I love the way he does that. And so whatever it is, if there's something that you need prayer for, please come on up. Let's pray with you, okay? 
Well, let's go, Lord, in prayer, and then Luke will lead us in worship, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word this morning and the picture of of Isaac and and just digging the wells. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would be students of your word. And not only that, but Lord, we'd also be worshipers, Lord. Father, I pray that, uh, Lord, I I know uh, even in my own life, Lord, going through famines, Lord, sometimes it's we, we tend to doubt and wonder if we're truly in your will and if, you know, if it's something we've done. And yet, Lord God, so many times, now it could be because of sin, but so many times, Lord, it's not. It's just, it's a place you have us because you want us to depend on you and to grow through it. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who's going through a famine in their lives. Maybe it's a famine in relationship or marriage or financial or they're just discouraged this morning lord god or they feel like there's things are just against them this morning lord i pray that they might understand that your spirit might comfort them because you are the comforter or comfort them knowing that lord you you see it you know it lord you've allowed it and that lord you want to do a work through it and so i pray for them that whoever is going through that that you would encourage them in this this morning lord And so I thank you and I bless you for this morning, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.